Welcome to the podcast of First Baptist Church of Robbinsville. Thank you for joining us. We trust that the teaching of God's Word will speak to you. If I could ask you to just be honest about what's difficult in life right now for you personally, just between you and God, if you had to say, this area right now in my life is just hard. Hallelujah, if nothing came to your mind right then, and you just, uh, that, I mean, that's, that's great. But maybe for a lot, for some in this room, maybe something physical comes to your mind. It's just, it's something in your body, sickness, disease, just hardship, aged bones, you know, but it's just, and, it, and it's hard, and it's hard every day. Maybe for someone, immediately you think of something relational. There's a, there's a relationship in your life that's broken. You would love for it to be mended. You'd love for it to be strong and vibrant, but it's just, it's not, and it's hard. Maybe for someone it's financial and just your finances hang over you every week. It's just hard to make ends meet. Maybe it's a debt situation and just month after month you're reminded this, this is just, this is tough. And maybe for others, the first thing that come to your mind is it's spiritual you know, me and God aren't just walking as close as we once were, and there's just, it's a personal struggle between you and him. As we step into the fourth sermon in the book of Job, we only have two more left, and I see a lot of new faces today, but let me just bring you up to where we are. Job is suffering physically, relationally, financially, and spiritually, God has preserved this book to give us a deeper picture of who he is and how to respond well in the smallest and the largest hardships that we encounter in life. Physically, Job has been afflicted by Satan and he's covered in boils from head to to toe and he feels like at times his skin's falling off. Relationally, he lost his 10 children, his servants, except for four. He lost his... um, well, his wife said, curse God and die. That's tough. And his three friends, Eliphaz, Zophar, and Bildad, have come to comfort him. And for chapters from chapters 33 uh, to 31, there's this conversation back and forth with these friends. And in chapter 16, Job responds to his friends and says, you are the most miserable comforters ever. I mean, just, you know, it's not getting better. Financially, he lost all of his livestock. They were stolen. And then spiritually along this journey, there's bits and pieces where we see Job's faith just shine in these conversations. And then there's other places where, man, he's in a real battle against God. And he's really saying to God, this is wrong. This is not right. I, I, I don't deserve this. This isn't fair. And we can certainly try to live in his shoes in our minds and think, well, that's, yeah, that's, anybody would be tempted to do that. But I want to begin, we're going to go through chapters 32 to 37, hit highlights in a moment, but I'm going to open up in chapter 23 for just a second because something, one of, one of Job's moments of faith in this conversation came whenever he thought about gold. And now, if I were to ask you, what is the difference between gold and pure gold? We would probably all get to the same conclusion. 
One has went through the fire and the other one hasn't. That's it. What do you mean? When the gold went into the fire, it had other substances that were attached to it. You couldn't really see them, but they were a part of it, but they weren't of it. They weren't gold. When the gold came out of the fire, it was purified. Those substances melted away, and now it's pure gold. The fire made the difference. Job is in the fire. And as we step back in, in just a moment, to chapter 32, we see how God puts people in our lives to help us whenever we're going through trials and sufferings and and hardships. And so I want to remind you that this, as we move through this, this is really more about our sanctification than an unbeliever coming to faith in the gospel, although you could make points to make that clear. But just step back and say, God isn't just satisfied with us being saved. He wants us to be sanctified. He never wastes the fire. Whatever you're going through, whatever came to your mind that you would just say, this is hard right now. What you can be sure of from the book of Job, from Romans 8, 28, God wants to use that to conform us to the image of Jesus so that our witness and our life knows him more and shines more for him. He doesn't waste the trial. And so it's here with gold on Job's mind that I want to open up as we bridge into chapter 32. So I'd love to invite you, if you can and you're able to please stand with me in reverence and honor for the reading of God's holy, inerrant, inspired, infallible word. Job says this in chapter 23, verse 8. Look, I go forward, but he's not there. Where's God? And backward, but I cannot perceive him. When he works on the left hand, I cannot behold him. When he turns to the right hand, I cannot see him. Feel that? Where is God in this? Oh yeah, gold. But he knows the way that I take. And when he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. Let's pray. Father, only you and the individuals sitting here can truly understand the struggles, the hardships, the agony, the frustrations, the questions, the doubt that our old nature tempts us with, the accusations from other people in the world. Where's your faith? Where's your God? I ask that you would do the impossible and bring out of this text a deeper understanding of who you are, how you work, and what you desire to do in our lives, and let none of us waste the thing that you are doing beyond what we can see or understand. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Whenever you get to chapter 32 of the book of Job, something remarkable happens. Very few people have probably ever read the long, ongoing conversation that just seems like it gets nowhere from chapter 3 to chapter 31. It's like a big argument. I'm not into arguments, are you? Just less of that and more Jesus, right? But when you get to chapter 32, something Very surprising happens. 
another person enters the scene. Now, before I talk to you about that other person, let's come back to the gold and paint a picture. Back in Job's days, the process of refining gold was called cupellation. C-U-P-E-L-L-A-T-I-O-N. For those of you that want to go home, pull up a YouTube video and be like, what's cupellation? It's how they, how they refine gold back in the day. And there's, there's some pretty cool videos, great for kids. But maybe it started out like this. You have a piece of gold and you have a bowl that's, that's covered in, in hard ashes. And then you have a piece of lead. And the idea here is this. The lead is going to go in the bowl with the gold. And whenever the bowl is put in the fire or when it begins to get heated, because the gold can handle, handle a higher temperature than the lead, what happens is the particles that are not gold begin to melt away from the gold and begin to bond with the lead. And then as the bowl gets hotter and hotter, the lead and those other particles begin to oxidize, and it looks like this. There's the gold in the middle, melted and liquid, but around the edge is the lead and the other particles pulling away from the gold, working their way up the edges of the bowl, kind of like that crusty stuff you see on your grill before you grill and you scrape it off, right? It's oxidizing, and once all that gets away from that little golden bubble there in the middle, then the fire is turned off, then the gold begins to cool down, and when it's done, it may look something like that. This nice, shiny piece of, not gold, but pure gold. It's being rid. God has a very unique way in the Bible of sanctifying us, helping us to recognize and identify the things that we're carrying around. Sometimes it's the way we think. Sometimes it's how we live. Sometimes it's other people in our lives. Sometimes it's things in our home that just need to go. But he does that for our good. It's to mold and to shape us like this. And so the idea here is Job is here. And the three friends, Zophar, Eliphaz, and Bildad, are here with Job, but they're making it worse. It's almost as if the process isn't happening because the more they talk, the more frustrated Job gets. And, by the, and throughout those conversations, as Ben said last week, you have this boxed-in view of God that because bad things are happening, you must have been living wickedly and you hid it and nobody knew about it because good things happen and blessings happen to those that live righteously. And in a way, it's like those three friends are saying, you must be hiding sin because nothing bad's happening to us. And if you're not hiding sin, but something bad's happening to you, then that means something bad may happen to us. And sometimes people keep their view of God confined because they don't want to think about what it could mean for their lives. And so a fourth friend, a fourth individual steps into the story here with Job. His name is Elihu, you're free to say Elihu. Basically, everybody out there says it one of the two ways. We'll not make an issue of it. But what's interesting is his name means, my God is he. Good friend to have. So, 
My God is the one. That's, that's who he is. That's who I'm living for. And in chapter 32, what we find out is Elihu has been here in listening to this conversation the whole time. So first he was being that good friend that being talked about last week. Some of the best ways that you can be a friend to others when they're suffering is to just be quiet. Don't try to fix it. I'm here, I'm listening, I don't have all the answers, you don't have all the answers, we're here for you, we love you. That's fantastic ministry to those that are hurting. Elihu has been there. He's about to speak six chapters of words to Job and give us some insight, we're not going to read it all. How can we trust what Elihu says. This is important when you're reading your Bible because is this the word of God? Yes. But within the scriptures, the scriptures preserve quotations of what people said. It even quotes Satan, right? And so anytime you're looking at what someone said, we don't want to just bank on it like John 3, 16, right? And so one of the things, a few of the things that give us confidence in what Elihu said and the kind of friend that he was to Job in this situation that ministers to us today um, is found in the verse that being closed with last week. I'm going to pull it up. This is the verse that being closed with last week at the end of Job, whenever God is finished speaking and he says, the Bible says this, Chapter 42, verse 7. And so it was, after the Lord had spoken these words to Job, that the Lord said to who? Eliphaz the Temanite, My wrath is aroused against you and your two friends, which would be Zophar and Bildad. This is important. For you, or you all, beginning with you, Eliphaz, because he is the oldest, have not spoken of me what is right. As my servant Job has. Did Job speak perfectly? No. We'll get to that next week. Elihu is not mentioned here. Elihu. I might say it both ways the whole time. That's important. God doesn't rebuke Elihu in this text. So we say, okay. It's also important to notice how the Hebrew describes God towards the three friends. His wrath is aroused. When Elihu then is mentioned in chapter 32, the text says this, Then the wrath of Elihu, the son of Bereshel, the Buzite of the family of Ram, was aroused against Job. His wrath was aroused because he justified himself rather than God. Understandable. Get to that in a minute. But also against his three friends, his wrath was aroused. You see the parallel there with Job and with God. Because they had found no answer and yet had condemned Job. So just sit there for a minute and imagine you sat with a friend for days. You're being respectful. You're being quiet. And everything that everyone is feeding into the ears of your friends, what's a nice word, is very uncharacteristic of who God is in the Bible. That should fuel us a little bit to be like, okay, I, I don't. It's the character of God. It's who God is that gets us through trials. It's, it helps us to look at and trust him as molding us into gold. I've been sitting and listening to this. And so there's a parallelism of how Elihu felt about the friends, how God felt about the friends. That's the point. Chapter 32 gives us a little bit more reason because it's possible here 
that some of us read this and we think, wrath? Really? He's about to speak from wrath? I grew up with wrath. Wrath's not good. Don't speak and act from wrath. And so it would make sense that some people could read this and picture the yelling, the screaming, the cussing, stuff flying across the house. Let me show you why that's not the case so we can better trust what the Holy Spirit has given us through the example of Elihu's friendship to Job. Elihu's character begins as someone who's respectful. Chapter 32, verse 4 says, Now because they were years older than he, Elihu had waited to speak to Job. That tells us a lot. Elihu is young. He's been respectful. He's been a good listener. He's not tried to fix it. He's not tried to mouth off. He's not tried to say, oh, here's what's wrong. He's sat there, and he's, and he's also been respectful of the fact that everyone else in the room is older than him. It's very wise, right? That's good. That's hallelujah. Verse 12 says this. Elihu has been very observant. I pay close attention to you and surely not one of you convinced Job or answered his words. In other words, I wasn't over here playing games. I wasn't twiddling my thumbs. I was paying attention. I was making notes. Maybe he was praying but he was thinking about what they were saying and how it connected or didn't connect to the character of God. And he feels really frustrated that all they have done is run circles and make, and make the situation worse. That's what love does for a friend. You care about helping your friend to think through and not go off the deep end when your friend is hurting. Perhaps the most powerful in, ch- in chapter 32 is the fact that Elihu was so compelled to speak Verses 17 through 20 says this, I also will answer my part. I too will declare my opinion for I am full of words. The spirit within me compels me. Indeed, my belly is like wine that has no vent. It is ready to burst like new wineskins. I will speak that I may find relief. I must open my lips and answer. Just step back for just a second. What Elihu just described is what we call conviction. It's this, I've heard it, I've heard it, I've heard it. I want to speak, not to put somebody in their place, but to help my friend that is hurting. I can't just go on with my life and ignore what I have to offer to help the friend. That's what it looks like for our hearts to just burn for people in our church family or even outside in our community as we keep growing in our understanding of God. Some of you, you invite every friend that you have that ain't going to church somewhere to come to church. I mean, it's like it's burning in you every week. It's, it's cool. You're growing, you're learning, and you're like, I want other people to grow and know God more too. But what's interesting about this is how it parallels with what Jeremiah said. Jeremiah was a messenger. He's known as the weeping prophet. And Jeremiah got to a place where the people weren't listening, so I don't even want to talk about God. Nobody's listening. Why does it matter? But Jeremiah chapter 20 verse 9 says this. Then I said, I will not make mention of him nor speak any more in his name. But his word was in my heart. Like a burning fire shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back. And I could not. Why is that important? All throughout history, God does this. And he does it with you. He, when we're growing in his word, the natural response is I get to share it with somebody else. It's burning in me and I want to help somebody to know God. 
You remember the messenger, John the Baptist. He's like a fireball, isn't he? And now think, put this together. John the Baptist came speaking and preaching the word just before the Messiah, Jesus, became speaking. Come back to Elihu. Here's a messenger who's coming to speak. It's burning in him. He's listening. He's listening. Now he's got to say something. Who's going to speak immediately after Elihu is finished in chapter 38? God. So a lot of times, what you're learning and what God is doing in your life, you may share it. Maybe you share it on social media. Maybe you talk about it with somebody at school on your team and with a friend, and you have no idea what's going on in their life. You are the messenger that God is ministering through to them because he's about to say something big into their life and you just prepared the way. Does God do that? He does. I want you to be encouraged today as you talk about how you're learning and growing. Last couple of things is simply this. Elihu was also impartial. Verse 21 and 22 says, Let me not, I pray, show partiality to anyone, nor let me flatter any man, for I do not know how to flatter, else my maker would soon take me away. In other words, Elihu says, because I fear God, I'm not here to play church games. Because I fear God, I'm not here to win favors, win votes, or do politicking. I'm here for you, Job. And then the last one. Chapter 33, verse 6 and 7, Elihu says this, Truly I am your spokesman before God. I also have been formed out of clay. In other words, I'm a man just like you are. I'm trying to speak on God's behalf. Surely no fear of me will terrify you, nor will my hand be heavy on you. Why is that important? When someone speaks and acts in anger, when someone comes into your life, I'm just going to fix this, I'm going to put everybody in their place, they would never say what verse 6 and 7 of chapter 33 says. Elihu wanted to be clear. I'm not here to intimidate you. I'm not here to threaten you. I'm not here to stir the pot. I'm not here to scare the life out of you. I come with words, not heavy, but light, gentle, lowly, meek. Is that, how, is that when you look at that list, is that how an angry man speaks? Felt like that was very important. Really, to say this, this is kind of the big main idea of the text as we flesh out these last few things. Elihu becomes an example of the friend we want to be in the lives of others when they're suffering. He started off listening. He's just, he's just there. He's just present. He ain't trying to fix it. And now he's going to, he's going to confront Job on his self-righteous attitude. That's tough. He's going to call out the foolishness of the friends, but then he's ultimately trying to commend or elevate the goodness of God's justice and his character. That's what he's trying to get to, but we need to know, can we trust him? I think we can trust him. It's a good, I need an Elihu, more Elihus. You need an Elihu? We all need Elihus. Okay, you with me? So let's do this. Elihu now begins to condemn Job's self-righteousness. Now, this is tough. This is what happens in their relationship. There's some scripture to show you how many times this comes up. We're not going to read all those. But the point is this. Elihu speaks very directly and very personally into Job's life based upon what Job has said. And here's what blew me away. Job doesn't get up and leave the room. 
big idea right here. Do you and do I have relationships in our life so that everything is on the table to be talked about? That's the point. Elihu does, Job doesn't run away. Job doesn't say, shut up, shut up, but just let it go. It's enough. I don't, I don't want to, I, don't, I, can't, I can't go there. I can't talk about it. He's gentle, he's loving, he's kind, but he's saying, Job, this is what you said. God is in the wrong. Job, that's a strong statement. God isn't being fair in your life. Job, that's, that's a strong statement. God really just ransacked you and punished you with someone else's wickedness. And so, Job, you even said, what's the point of delighting in God if wicked people and righteous people just all die? Job, that's a very dangerous place to get to. How did you get there in your mind? So the point is Elihu gets to talk with Job about these really hard things. Now, I want to make sense of something in chapter 33 that could really de- derail somebody. And it's, it's really, it starts off at the end of verse 12. For God is greater than man. Why do you contend with him? For he does not give an accounting of any of his words. In other words, Elihu is saying, Job... Really, your issue is not with everything that's happened. Right now, your issue is with God. You're struggling with him. You can blame it on other things and other people. And now keep in mind, Elihu and Job, and no one knows about what Satan is behind this. And Satan was contending with God. But based upon what's coming out of Job's mouth, Elihu is saying your battle is really with God. If you will deal with your walk with God in this, it will change everything. Because God doesn't have to give an account to why he allows anything. So Elihu says, I want you to understand how God speaks. Job, you said, I don't see him. And this is true for some of us. Sometimes in our flesh, we can be going through something hard. And our mind can say, where's God? I don't see him. What's he doing? This isn't getting better. It's getting worse. Where is he? The flesh will always tempt us to say what Job said. I can't see him. I don't even know what's going on right now. Well, Elihu then says in chapter 33 um, that God speaks in verse 14. God speaks one way and sometimes he speaks others. Like don't put God in the box that he has to speak on your terms at your time. Sometimes Elihu says God speaks in a dream. And when people wake up from that dream, they're very alarmed. And how they then live is different than how they would have lived without the dream. Okay. Well, we see that happen with Jacob in the Bible, with Joseph in the Bible, with Daniel in the Bible. There's there's meat to that. But what I would say today is don't go to the Christian bookstore and buy a book on how to interpret dreams. If you feel like God encouraged you and somehow you wake up different and you're like, I'm going to live this way as a result of that, fine. Don't get into dream interpretations. God has spoken to us through his son and through his word. We have all that we need. Elihu goes on and says, look, in verse 17, now this is challenging to read, but this is, he says, sometimes Job, God allows people to get sick or ill and put in the bed and they can't move. That can be tough because Job's laying there sick and ill and covered in sores. But Elihu's point after verse 17 is this, because God sees the way their life is going, he allows them, he allows the bedridden situation to humble them so that whenever they get better, that the life that they will then live will be for him and before maybe it wasn't as much. Okay. Can you think of situations where that happened? What about the thief on the cross? 
If, anybody, if it was ever good for someone to get crucified, maybe we could say it was good that that thief who trusted Jesus, the man in the middle, that was good timing to be dying beside him, look to him, go to paradise that evening. Good win for the thief. In John 9, the disciples walk up and they see a blind man. They're like, Jesus, who sinned to make this man blind? It must have been him or his parents, right? Which was the retribution idea that Ben talked about last week. And Jesus is like, no, man. Ain't you read Job? It's, it's not always just sin that leads to suffering. Sometimes it does, but sometimes suffering, is, suffering happens, and it's not because there was sin that preceded it, but for the glory of God and his works to be done. And then Jesus healed the man, and he told everybody what Jesus had done. So his blindness ended up being a blessing. And then Elihu says in chapter 33, verse 23, sometimes God just sends a messenger. God speaks in different ways, Job. Don't put him in a box. Just listen for his voice and keep looking for him. Be patient with him. And here's kind of the point. Elihu says this in verse 29. Behold, God works all these things twice, in fact, three times with a man to bring back his soul from the pit that he may be enlightened with the light of life. Big idea. We just want to have conversations that don't limit our ability to tune in and listen to what God is saying. What was the other three friends doing? They were looking back, saying, Job, you've done something wrong. Man, you've got hidden sin. We just need to pull those skeletons out of the closet. What's Elihu doing? Trying to look forward to the process of gold, to the process of pure gold, to the outcome. Job, I don't know how God's speaking. I don't know what's going to come of this, but what I can tell you is this. God doesn't want people to live and die apart from him. He wants their lives to be changed. So Elihu shifts gears. He shifts from focusing on Job's victim mentality, his idea of entitlement, I don't deserve this, to now the friends. This is really short and simple, but Elihu calls out the friends' foolishness. And the way that he does it is, Certainly challenging, but there's several passages. We're just going to read chapter 32, verse 9, which says this. Great men are not always wise. Great means aged. Nor do the aged always understand justice. Elihu is simply saying, sometimes... There's a lot of wisdom with people that have lived and served God, and they've did a, they've did a lot of things. They have so much to offer, and man, I, I want to grow from as many aged men as I can. But he's also saying it's possible for people to grow old, have never understood the character of God, and then they step into Job's situation and just speak all kinds of nonsense and make it worse. That's tough. So as he begins to speak, he's, a, he's, he's really saying Sometimes the, the thing that's holding a person down in their suffering is the foolish talk that they're listening to. It could be something someone told you 20 years ago, and it's just always stuck with you. It could be somebody very personal. It could have been a family member or a pastor or something that you grew up with. He says sometimes those, those one-liners stick, but they're just not biblical. So I wrote this down. Sometimes even the most respected or highly esteemed individuals in a community, in a family, even in a church are the very ones preserving the misery of the people because they promote an understanding of God that's not true to his character. Here's the point. 
if you and I were having to talk about something really hard, is everything but also everyone on the table. We never want to approach a situation and just totally disrespect somebody, but sometimes people are 30, 40, and 50 years old, and they're still trying so hard to please a parent that they will never be able to please. And it's just dominating their life. It's controlling their life. It's wreaking havoc on their life. And sometimes the most loving thing to do is say, look, they're in the wrong. It's never God's character for you to live your whole life trying to please them, rather, but just serve him and you're free. Sometimes... People don't want to talk about it, but someone last week or 20 years ago hurt you and wounded you so bad. And every time you hear that name, you see that color, or you hear that phrase, or you think of that situation, it brings it all back up. And it just wreaks havoc on your day. Those are hard things to talk about. But in the way that Elihu is talking about it, what fascinated me is the three men don't leave the room. Job never stands up and says, now, hold on, Elihu, they're my friends. He never stands up. Because, and it's, it's, it's interesting because the people that get the most help at the end of this book are actually the three friends. Because Job forgives them. And so it's very true that often our lives are radically transformed simply because God uses our suffering to guide us to a place of forgiveness and releasing the anger and the hurt and what was said and what was done and moving on. And Christ is showed off. The final thing that we get to this morning with Elihu is where we all want to be in our conversations. Elihu commends God's justice and goodness. Elihu gets to this place where he says, look, You've painted all these different pictures of God and you've really said he's just in the wrong. Let me step back and ask you some questions. Give me some time. And in, and in chapter 34, here's one of the really good ones. Verse 12, surely God will never do wickedly, nor will the Almighty pervert justice. Who gave him charge over the earth or who appointed him over the whole world? It's a simple way of just saying, look, the moment you, in your suffering, or maybe you're watching someone else suffer, and you and I begin to voice words like, if, if God is really good and sovereign, he wouldn't allow that. But I'm looking at it happening. Elihu is saying, Job, church, that way of thinking is going to take you down a dark, miserable road, and you'll never come out as gold. No one appointed God over the world. That person would be the God of God. Just God is. He, just, he goes forever back into the past. He answers to no one. And the deeper we grasp that, the more we can trust him and not question him. So Elihu says in the next chapter, look to the heavens and see. Behold the clouds. They're higher than you. The moment you think that you're above God and can question God and bring God to court, just look to the clouds and remind yourself, you and I aren't telling those clouds at all what to do. God is working in the weather across the whole world, and he's doing a great job at it. He's ordered. He's orderly. Job, if you were put in charge of the clouds for just a day, what would happen? 
You know, it's, it's, it's Elihu's way of saying, when you look at creation, God clearly knows what he's doing. And if you and I were in charge of creation for just a day, everything would fall apart because we can't handle that. It's also a way, well, let me read this next one. Verse 36, he says, Behold, God is great, and we do not know him or know him fully, nor can the number of his years be discovered. I know when my birthday is. I know how old I am. I know my children and my wife. That's about it. I don't know God's age because he's ageless. He existed outside of time because he created time. He is timeless. Hey, Job, it's a, it's a, you're really going down a dark road whenever you begin to think that you know more than God and you don't even know his birthday. <laughs> he really tries to put this into perspective. Maybe here's the last one. He says, Job, next time it rains and lightnings, I want you to listen to it thunder. God thunders marvelously with his voice. He does great things which we cannot comprehend. For he says to the snow, fall on the earth. Likewise to the gentle rain and the heavy rain of his strength. Job, God has a say-so of every drop that falls from a cloud. And when the last drop falls, he can tell the other million to stay in the cloud. He's that detailed. He hasn't lost sight of you. Don't let his silence confuse you into thinking uh, he's absent. Don't let the lack of his voice cause you to think he stops speaking. It thunders every day somewhere, Job. God is still speaking. It's snowing somewhere. It's raining somewhere. It's sunshining somewhere. God hasn't forgotten you. The beautiful thing about this is he spoke these words before the word of God was written, printed, and it's on our phones, it's in our pockets. And we have access to creation every day. So I just want to close today and really say, when you step outside or sit down for lunch today, maybe just pause for a moment and think a little differently. Look at some of the detail in what's around you and just remind yourself, my issue isn't the center of the world or the universe. God clearly has a lot of other things going on in the universe, but he's affectionate for a relationship with me and he pleads with me to trust that he knows what he's doing. You've heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord. The Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Look to the outcome. He knows. Let's pray. Father, it is here that we ask. If someone is sitting here and they have no understanding of you because they have never even first trusted you as their savior let now be the time and let today be the day that they come to faith in the crucifixion of Jesus your son for their sins and the resurrection of his body from the dead to give them everlasting life and begin this new walk with you for the church father I pray that in no way today we made light or little of someone's hardship I pray that 
only you had the freedom to speak and that you are still speaking and inviting that individual to trust you with the things that they cannot control, the things they cannot change, they can't, the things they cannot even speak over. Thank you, Father, that although we don't know the end, you have the outcome in mind. And we can trust you. We ask your blessing now in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for joining us. We hope that you were encouraged by the teaching of God's Word. If you have questions or would like more information about our church, you can find us at www.robbinsvillefbc.org or call the office at 828-479-3423. God bless you and have a great day.